0: Welcome everyone to a special episode of the Paranautica Podcast. I am here with a special guest, Robert Sullivan IV, and we're going to be talking about a lot of cool stuff, uh, hidden symbology, uh, symbolism in movies. Um, So, Robert Sullivan, if you want to introduce yourself really quick... Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, sure.
1: Thank you for having me on the uh, Paranautica podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. My name is Robert Sullivan. I'm the author of uh, five books uh, presently out, The Royal Arch of Enoch, Cinema Symbolism 1, 2, and 3, and a work of fiction called A Pack with the Devil. Um, I'm currently working on uh, Cinema Symbolism 4, uh, another book called Cinema Symbolism Oz, uh, which is just going to focus solely on The Wizard of Oz. And um, I'm also in the process of releasing or, or right now, um, re-editing and uh, re-writing portions of some of my earlier works. Um, mainly cinema symbolism one, two, and royal arch of Enoch. Um, there, there are some uh, edits that I want to make in those, and uh, I will be releasing. Let's see here; it'll be a royal arch third edition, a cinema symbolism third edition, and a cinema symbolism two second edition. But those are still at least you know a couple years away. Um, I can only do one thing at a time here. There's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean I, I've got a lot going on, and uh, I'm like, and as I'm doing that, I am working on cinema symbolism four. Uh, I've got other works fiction outline so uh,
0: you have a lot going on I mean you're a historian a philosopher antiquarian a jurist a lay theo, a theologian obviously a writer author a mystic radio TV personality a best-selling author CEO a lawyer
1: uh, a lot going on
0: You publish and distribute books as well?
1: Right. I do do all the legwork. I I run a publishing company, essentially. uh, I mean, it's called Deadwood Publishing. It was named after one of my favorite TV shows uh, called Deadwood, which aired on HBO many years ago. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a bit of a control freak, I suppose. So I I do it. I'm hands-on, and I do it all myself.
0: That's the way to do it, man. That's, that's what I've learned to do. I have to do everything myself to just get it right the way I see it, the way I want it to be portrayed. That's, it's easier that way.
1: Exactly. Yep, exactly.
0: And you're also a 32-degree uh, Scottish Rite Freemason out of uh, St. John's Lodge, number 25, well, in mean, uh, Baltimore. Well,
1: no, I'm actually – well, I, I'm, a, I'm a third – well, my Blue Lodge is amicable St. John's Lodge, number 25. Um, I'm a 32nd of the Scottish oh, okay. Rite. That's the Valley of Baltimore, Orient of Maryland.
0: How do you have the time to do all of this? This is this is just amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's I I, I do I do practice law, but I, I do it a few days a week. So I spend other days just writing and editing. Um, of course, you can't do all this twenty four seven. You'll have burnout. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, from from my experiences, there, there there comes a point in time in the day where you can't look at it anymore. Um, if you continue to work on it, it'll become stale and dry, and you wind up ha- you the next day you wind up looking at it and thinking to yourself, you know, I got to redo all this. Everything I wrote, you know, yep. you know, was kind of crappy. Um, so I I sort of cut everything off at around five five thirty. I mean, I take breaks. But um, for me, writing and editing and doing my books, it's really a labor of love for love for me. It's I guess what you would say is it's sort of my form of relaxation. Right. Um, so it, it's something I just really enjoy doing. And uh, um, like I said, it's a labor of love. And, uh, you know, I, I like writing. I like doing the research and, um, you know, I, li- I like getting the books out and then I like promoting them.
0: Absolutely. And well, we're going to promote your books here. But I, I agree, man, because, like, I find doing research pretty relaxing, but then also it gets very daunting at the same time. And, like, my quote-unquote relaxation is I stop for a minute, pick up my guitar, play some music for a minute, go back to research, kind of, like, refresh the brain because it gets pretty intense and, like I said, stale. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, there reaches a point in time in the day where I just put it down and can't look at it anymore. Um, and it's, 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 it's better off that way. I mean, you need breaks and you know, you can't just sit there. I mean, like, you know, it, it, will, it will, it won't, remain fresh. It'll, it'll just, you know, be flat. And, uh, for me, um, you know, I, I you know, there's, there's a lot that I can do. I mean, there, you know, for, for me, there's, I mean, like I have a methodology to it. I prefer when I begin writing, I like outlining and making notes that helps me organize and put it together. Um, inevitably <clears throat> from, and again, this is just my perspective on it. Um, it's, it's, uh, how can, how can I say it's, 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 I like, I like write it. And then like the next day I'll go back and look at what I've wrote, you know, and then I'll wind up tweaking it a little more. Um, yeah. but one thing I've learned in all this, and this is what you had kind of said earlier is, is, is you, you are 10, you, you are your own best friend when it comes to this, uh, whether it be the book interior or the photographs or the writing or the editing, I mean, only you know how you want it to look, and you know that's why I do it all myself. Over the years, I have been disappointed time after time after time with editors, and the graphic designers aren't bad, but but the 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 editing is is something I do solely. I mean, if, if there's no such thing as a perfect book, and if I edit in, there's a few mistakes I can live with that, but if I turn it over to an editor. I I just find that it's, it's, I'm never satisfied with, with what they do. I'm, I'm looking for something more, um, you know the the one thing that I like doing is, you know, is 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 even after I get done a chapter, or whatever. I mean, I will constantly go back and read it and reread it and reread it and reread it and, re-read it and tweak it and edit it, um, and because there's so many things that editors don't pick up on, um, such as you know, like the, the flow. I mean, they'll just read it, and say, okay, you know, you know, this is the way he wants it. I'm just going to look out for grammatical errors. I I think that editing is more of, um, you know, generating a flow using creative terms, trying not to repeat, although that's almost impossible to do.
0: Of course. Um,
1: But but at any rate, that's that's my take on it. It, My my attitude is if you're going to do a book, try to do it yourself because um, you'll be much more satisfied with it. You'll be much more satisfied with the finished product because it's what you want at the end of the day.
0: And there's no one to place blame on except for yourself if there's anything wrong with it.
1: Exactly. And a lot of times, I mean, and this is even true for me. If there is, if there is something wrong with it, um, or you find a typo, if, if you've done it yourself and you've created the templates, you can actually go back and correct, correct it. It's very easy to do and just, you know, exchange out the, 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 the edition, just exchange out the PDF, um, and, and, you know, you, you know, with the edit or whatever, um, you know, that, that, that I've done once or twice also. But, um, you know, every book I've read, you know, even, you know, whether it be Cambridge University Press, Oxford University Press, you name it, Simon & Schuster, there's no such thing as a perfect book. I mean, I just read a book on The Exorcist that had some mistakes in it. Um, you know, and, and and that's inevitable. I mean, in the end, a book like anything else is a product of humans or human and, uh, humans are, of course, infallible, you know, not perfect creatures. So, um, you know it's like a movie i mean you you know you sit there and look at it hard enough i mean you will inevitably find some sort of continuity error or something like that uh and it's the same thing with books i mean inevitably there will be some sort of typo or erratum or or whatever so you just do the best you can and uh you know like i said nobody's perfect
0: yeah perfectly said man um so some talking points we're gonna get into like some 9-11 stuff uh movie symbology like vanilla sky the matrix fight club joker um I know you like to talk about Suspiria a lot. Do You want to start there with Suspiria? Yeah, well, there's
1: there's um, there, there's there's a lot going on. Um, there's two of them. There's the one from 2018, and then there's the one the, the original with Argenta. I liked both of them. Um, you know, I thought the I thought the 18 one was an admirable remake. Um, The one thing that I I picked up on, and this was after I had written the book, the original Suspiria I took on in Cinema Symbolism too, and I'm actually in the process of re-editing this, so I've got to add a little material in in with this. um, But that whole thing um, with Heidelberg, where that ballet school is set, that was the hubbub of the Rosicrucians back in the day. Um, And and if you watch that movie very carefully – Um, it's implied, I mean, it's, it's not subtle. I mean, if you, if you, if you're familiar with it, when, when Susie eventually discovers the witch's lair beneath the ballet, you know, behind the wall of the ballet school, and she's going back in the hallways if you pay attention to this writing on the wall, it's all these Rosicrucian emblems and phrases. And I think the implication is that sort of the, the, the Rosicrucians were using this place as a hideout. And eventually this witch's coven sort of drove them out as it were. Um, and that's very, it's, it's very, um, and it's very interesting. I, I don't, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of that. I just became aware of it, you know, within the yeah, last year or
0: so. I'm not aware of that at no, all. No, Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah,
1: it, it is. It is. It's, 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 it's take a look at it. And, uh, um, You know, I I liked uh, I I liked both the movies, um, you know, and, uh, you know, definitely a lot of, uh, you know, symbolism going on. But the the whole thing with the Rosicrucian aspect of it, at least for me, I thought was one of the most fascinating uh, parts of it, at least for the first one. Now
0: about Rosicrucianism. So for the listeners, can you just kind of differentiate Freemasonry, Illuminati, Rosicrucianism? Because they're not all one the same. Do they intermix? I mean, how right? How are they differentiated? It, right.
1: The first. We'll just go in chronological order. Uh, is the best way to perceive the Rosicrucian is the Rosicrucians are this mystical brotherhood that come on the scene in the early 17th century with the publication of these treaties um, known as the Rosicrucian manifestos, the Fama, the Confessio, and the Alchemical Wedding, um, and they they announced to this world that there is this Christian secret society using alchemy and, and sorcery, um, essentially as a, as a reformist, you know, uh, to, uh, uh, they're, they're essentially a reformist movement to reform the church monarchy politics. Um, the big problem with the Rosicrucians is there's absolutely no evidence anywhere, um, that they actually existed. Right. Um, you know, you know, that there's no one person that you can point to and say, oh, you know, he's a Rosicrucian, Except for maybe, you know, you know, what's his name? Johann Andreas Valentin, who writes the alchemical wedding. I mean, you have people who are clearly influenced by Rosicrucianism. Um, and you can point to if, if you look at the two the two treaties um, or the three treaties, excuse me. What's well, the two main ones is the confessio and the uh, fama. The, the alchemical wedding is like a mystical story. Um, it's, it's alchemical. It documents the marriage of the sun and the moon. But if you look at the first two, the, the two people whose philosophies those tracks are based upon is John Dee and Giordano Bruno. Um, so you could kind of consider them maybe proto-Rosicrucians, as it were. But again, I mean, there's no there's no evidence anywhere, um, you know, or, or at least credible evidence that these people existed. And uh, it's um, – you know, you know. I think a lot of historians, at least the mainstream ones, the mainstream ones, and I, I tend to agree with them. You know, identify Rosicrucianism as more of a mindset than as an actual secret society. It was a reformist, sort of a mystical Protestant mindset. Reformist mindset um, is is be- is the better is the best way to look at it. Um, you get into then you have. The Freemasons, they officially come on the scene um, in 1717. They exist before that, of course, but that's when the formation of the Grand Lodge occurs on June 24th, 1717. Uh, that's the feast of John the Baptist, Midsummer, um, the apex of the sun in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, no surprise because the sun is the most important symbol within Freemasonry, um, and and they they are sort of also. You know, a myst. You know, it's it's um they they reflect Rosicrucianism is in, in in the same vein that they're a mystical Protestant uh, brotherhood. Uh, I think a lot of people are in agreement that the whole purpose of the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons uh, was to sort of have a a mystical, you know, occult, esoteric secret society brotherhood um, to counterbalance or counteract the Jesuits and the counter-reformation that was sweeping across Europe at that time. So, um, you know, and the Freemasons are, of course, are real. Um, You can argue that, and I think successfully, that they incorporate a lot of mystical doctrines, whether it be alchemy, Rosicrucianism, from a reformist standpoint, um, you know, Gnosticism, things like that. I mean, Christianity, of course, Kabbalah, uh, Judaism, Islam, you know, Sufism. So, you know, that's the Freemasons. They they exist. Um, they exist to this day. When, when where they actually come from is uh, is is argument. It can be argued. Um, yeah. there are different. There the are different, origin story. Yeah, the origin story varies. Um, there's there's no definitive origin story. Um, and then you get you know in, in years later at the end of the 18th century, you get the Bavarian Illuminati. Um, this, by all accounts, it definitely. Merges with Freemasonry and attaches itself to Freemasonry, but by all by all accounts, this is a Jesuit ruse. Um, the Jesuits had gone out of uh, business a few years earlier. Um, the entire structure and the hierarchy of the Illuminati was based upon the Society of Jesus, um, and by all accounts, it's it's the Jesuits under another guise, essentially, um, essentially trying to infiltrate Freemasonry, probably trying to discredit it. Um, there is, you know, wh- whether or not whether or not, um, and again, this is debatable. Um, I mean, the Illuminati definitely seems to fall off the cliff and kind of disappear, you know, with the wars of Napoleon. Um, there is evidence to suggest that, I mean, although it's not really probably associated with the Jesuits anymore, that their doctrines, uh, that they're, they're sort of globalist, you know, uh, you know, occult, you know, doctrines of world domination um do i mean there is credible evidence to this do reemerge in 1832 at yale university with skull and bones um Mm. that 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 has often been uh, been cited as a possible illuminati lodge um and i don't say that oddly there is a lot of credible evidence to this um so you know if if the illuminati of bavaria is Technically gone. You you know you you could have seen their reemergence um, at Yale University in 1832, which was ultimately born out of it, it, the the whole thing with Skull and Bones was a reaction to the anti Masonic movement that was sweeping across the United States at the time due to the William Morgan affair, um, and and Skull and Bones was a reaction to that. Wow. So um, you know that that's you know from a mainstream historian standpoint. The 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 take on the Rosicrucians, the Freemasons, and the Illuminati.
0: So the Bavarian Illuminati was that that wasn't started by Adam Weishaupt?
1: No, it was. It was started by Weishaupt um, on May the first, seventeen seventy six. Yeah, it was at the University of Ingolstadt, and you know he was trained by the Jesuits. And this is one of the things that makes um, the the argument with Skull and Bones so persuasive is because Skull and Bones also attaches itself to a university. Um, The Illuminati comes out of uh, the University of Ingolstadt. Yale University is, of course, home to Skull and Bones. So, again, this is one of the um indicators that perhaps skull and bones is just a continuation of um the Bavarian Illuminati. And if you read any book on Skull and Bones, I mean the one of the first thing you read read is they, they are based upon a society, a secret society coming out of Germany. Well, you know, I mean, well what could that be? Yeah. right. Um, so yeah, I mean, right, I mean what could that be? So uh you know and, and it's 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 the way I, I can't remember it. I'd have to go look it up, but the way um, Yale University timestamps everything and, and dates itself is based upon, I believe, the 1776 foundation date of the Illuminati. Um, so again, there is ample evidence, and I think credible evidence, to suggest that the the, the skull and bones at Yale is is a, a, a reformation, um, you know, a reemergence is probably the better word of a skull of a the illuminati
0: that's so interesting so who's more prominent in the world then the jesuits seem to be behind literally everything so are they more prominent than say the illuminati or even freemasonry well it's, They're it's just like lesser known or hidden more well it's it's like anything
1: else i mean it, it's it's sort of um it's a question that really and i guess this is what gives rise to a lot of these conspiracy theories is back in the day the jesuits the freemasons you know these were all you know, like, you know, real social forces in the world. Today, they aren't. Um, the Jesuits lose all their powers with the Napoleonic Wars. Um, I mean, and they're just a vestige, a shadow of their former selves. Um, and the Freemasons are as well. They, they go under um, with uh, the William Morgan affair. They survive it. But again, it's they're just a shadow of their former selves. They don't really have any power anymore. Um, certainly not like they did um, between the foundation of the United States in 1776 and the reign of DeWitt Clinton um, up until the 1820s, the, 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 those those years are sort of the heyday of Masonic power in the United States. That That is all undone um, in the 1820s, 1826 with the William Morgan Affair, where Masonry is completely all but rendered extinct in the United States. Um, they survive it. It survives. Um, But it basically reemerges as, you know, a a fraternal order that helps widows and orphans. Jesuits are the same thing. I mean, back in the day, um, you know, the, the, the Society of Jesus was essentially the Vatican's you know, Langley, um, as it were, was was the Central Intelligence Agency of Europe. Um, that's not the case anymore. I mean, yeah, they're still around. Yeah, they're still influential like the Masons, but they don't wield at least I don't believe they wield the power that they once had. Um, but again, this is why, you know, you have these conspiracy theories that exist is, you know, they once did have power, but it's dissipated. But people still want to believe that it's there. I mean, it could be, a you know, it, it could be to an extent. I mean, I'm a Freemason myself. I'm not going to deny the fact that it's not influential and certainly without power, but um, it, it, it certainly it certainly doesn't operate the way it did say back at you know the, the early 19th century.
0: So, what would you say the common misconception that the general public have about Freemasonry and their influence on politics in, I guess the modern era?
1: Well, I, I would say that you know it, it, it's it's a I wouldn't say it's a misconception or anything. I think. I think that part of the problem is that masons have always denied this and that's given rise to more suspicion. Um, and clearly that's a mistake because I mean, if you know, you look at the foundations of the country, the whole country is based upon Freemasonry. I mean, everything, everything, the foundation, the founding documents from the declaration of independence to the constitution,
0: cornerstone.
1: Yeah. I mean the cornerstone ceremonies, the, the monuments, the buildings. I mean, the white house is a replica of a Masonic lodge in Ireland. Um, I mean, the capital, the domed capital, is is a symbol of Apollo, the sun god. If you are familiar with masonry, the sun is the most uh, important symbol within masonry. So you will routinely see solar iconography um, out there. Those are usually Masonic Neoplatonic references. But um, the 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 problem is the Masons have always denied this. you know, it's always a conspiracy theory. Um, the truth is. You know the masonry, Freemasonry, back in the day was very powerful, and it was somewhat conspiratorial, um, and it did craft the nation, and they created all these Masonic logos and monuments, you know, and what have you. Um, But but then it kind of goes away. But people. People see the, see it today and see this, think, think it's evidence of this vast Masonic conspiracy where it was really the founding fathers and the people who are creating the nation were using Masonic iconography, symbols, logos, philosophy to create the new nation around that. That's ultimately what it boils down to. So, um, and again, and again, part of, part of the reason why it's, it, it's always, you know, people have looked at it with suspicion and i understand it is it, there's no transparency um it was just done right it, it's a secret society exactly there was i mean <laughs> you know? it was just done there was no transparency no one asked anybody to do it it was just done so um you know but i don't think masons have done a good job with it either i mean i don't I want to i don't want to put it down too much because i mean i am a member myself yeah, but right um You know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that um, there is a branch of masonry that is esoteric, that is mystical, that is currently being revived, which is a good thing. Um, But, you know, I mean, like even when I joined it in 1997, um, I mean, I remember people coming up to me saying, you know, some of the other members saying, you know, you're going to hear these conspiracy theories about this, that and the other and. You know, you, you just, you know, OK, but then you start researching, you really do realize that, you know, so much of the country was Masonic, but it wasn't really this dark conspiracy at a, a foot. It was essentially the creators, the foundings, the founders of this country were all Masons and they were just using, using what was familiar to them to formulate the country around. Um, I mean, in no way was this ever meant to be considered dark, you know, or demonic or anything like that. Um, so, again, this is one of the reasons why this was one of my motivating factors for doing the first book was to kind of get this out in the open and, and talk about it. Um, and it meant with, a, you know, it has its detractors, of course, but oh, by and large, it's been well received overall.
0: So uh, a lot of people... See, like, okay, so a lot of our world leaders have been have been Masons, obviously. Um, And then there are groups like the Bilderberg Group, um, Bohemian Grove. So a lot of presidents have gone to Bohemian Grove, and they have been Masons. So what's the connection with? bohemian grove well i mean
1: th- this again i mean it's 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 really has no connection with freemasonry in any way shape or form i mean there are a lot of organizations out there that are masonic like but that doesn't connect them to masonry i mean there's you know such as like the odd fellows um or, or groups like that they they, they are masonic like but you know they're not, I mean, it's like a college fraternity and sorority. You know, the same thing, they're Masonic like, but they're not really attached to masonry. Um, the Bohemian, the Bohemian Society, Bohemian Grove, um, is essentially a summer camp, um, where the world's elite get together and p- perform this somewhat strange cremation of care ritual, um, in the middle of the summer. Um, I mean, that's about it. I mean, it has no connections or ties to Freemasonry, just because someone who goes happens to be a Freemason. I mean, that's way too much of a slippery slope. Um, You know, you know, so, you know, it's, 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 you have, I mean, this always has to be distinguished that you have organizations out there that, you know, employ secrecy and are Masonic-like. But are not necessarily attached to Freemasonry, such as groups like Oddfellows or if you want to get into more of the, you know, more conspiratorial ones like, you know, Bilderberg or Trilateral, Mm. you know, groups like the other Bohemian Grove or things like that. Um, in, In the end, they probably to some extent all owe their, you know origins to Freemasonry because ultimately Freemasonry was, a, you know, was, it probably still is the most powerful secret order, you know, of them all. Clearly within the United States, the Royal Archmasons were the world, were the country's first deep state. I mean, they're the ones running the show, you know, behind the scenes. Um, You know, that's the whole, one of the premises of of my book. Um, you know, back in the day with DeWitt Clinton, the Livingstone family, Ephraim Kirby, um, that that Thomas Smith Webb, that cast of characters. I mean, those are the guys who are running the show all behind the scenes. Um, and again, this is what gets undone with the William Morgan affair. Um, you may have heard the term. Um, in your travels, something known as the Colombian Illuminati. Yeah, this is yes. the American version. Yeah, this is the American Illuminati. Um, this is what I'm talking about. These were the Royal Masons run by DeWitt Clinton, um, who is the former mayor of New York City and former governor of New York State. He is literally the inventor of the uh, American political system, even as it stands today. I was going to um, ask, so-
0: um, are the Clintons – Hillary and Bill relate or no, no relation. Bill. Okay, no relation.
1: No, no, okay, no relation. So it's com- completely unrelated. Um, Dewitt Clinton was uh, he's a, he's he's critical because he's a Jeffersonian Republican, but all his buddies are the Federalists, um, and he's the guy who is. Is 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 working behind the scenes of the two party system? At the time, it was the Federalists and the Jeffersonian Republicans to pull the strings of the entire country. Um, and this is literally wow. um, the uh, America's what you would call first deep state. Um, this all gets undone by the um, William Morgan affair, the political machinery of this survives. And this is what ultimately gets turned into what's known as Tammany Hall out of New York city run by boss Tweed, uh, who was a Freemason and an odd fellow. Um, you want to see more on him, go watch the Martin Scorsese movie gangs of New York. Um, you know, he's, he's the guy again. And if you watch that, you'll see him doing the same thing, you know, manipulating the New York city politics from behind the scene. That was Tammany Hall. Um, so, you know, again, this is, uh, you know, if, if you're interested in what I've been talking about, by all means, check out my very first book called The Royal Arch of Enoch. I get into all this Masonic machinations, um, you know, in the early days of the country.
0: Now, is the Royal Arch of Enoch also the title of like the 13th degree of the Scottish Rite and the 7th in the, in the right? Rite? It,
1: correct. It's 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 part of the high degree uh, system, which is the York Rite and the um, Scottish Rite. Um, it's the third, you're correct. It's the 13th degree in the Scottish, the seventh in the York, right? It's without question, arguably the highest degree in Freemasonry. And it's certainly the most important because it, it documents the ritual is the recovery of what was lost in the Blue Lodge. All the Blue Lodge Masons are running around looking for the lost word of the Master Mason, which is the name of God. Um, it's this word that is recovered known as the Tetragrammaton. Um, in the high degree ceremonial uh, known as the Royal Arch. And it is by far and away one of the most important uh, rituals in masonry. And if you research it long enough, like I have, um, you will come to understand that it is really the ritual and its philosophies and its symbolism and its mythos, I suppose is probably the best word, um, that, is really, that is really being used uh, to craft uh, the United States around, um, as it were.
0: That is like the original ritual, right? With the Hiram Abiff, um, and how he was basically murdered. That's the
1: what you're talking about now. That's the third degree okay. uh, ritual. That's the that's the master mason ritual, which is the Hiram Abiff ritual or, or ceremonial. That's that's the third degree where the candidate that's where portrays Hiram Abiff. Um, he's the architect, of Solomon's Temple, and he gets murdered. Uh, by three fellow crafts, ultimately to be resurrected on what something known as the substitute word of a master mason, because the word is lost um, in the Blue Lodge. Um, the Royal Arch is part of the high degrees, and that is the recovery of this word that Hiram had, but had lost. Um, it, it's, it's, it's concealed at a subterranean vault um, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, um and, and it, it it has to do with Jews being Jews returning to uh the Holy Land to build the second temple, um, and they discover this secret subterranean vault. Um, and in this vault is uh among other things, the Ark of the Covenant, but is also the name of God, which is this uh uh lost uh word uh from the Blue Lodge.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. What do you know about uh what's his name? Uh LFS Levi or Alphonse Louis Constant? You're familiar with right. his work, well, right?
1: Well, he, oh, of course. Yeah, he he is uh, a, a French occultist. I suppose if you wanted to identify. Uh, the two most nineteenth-century important occultists and writers of the time, uh, Alefis Levy would probably be one A, and Madame Blavatsky would be one B. Um, you could interchange them, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, Le- 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 Levy is uh, very, very uh, important. In all this he he has a very he creates a very dualistic uh, system of magic. Um, you know where this whole thing is based on a- this this concept known as astral light. Um, which is, uh, sort of, a, a, a merger of yin yang energies. Again, it's very Manichaean, uh, very dualistic, uh, black, you know, black and black and white, dark and light, um, things like that with, within masonry, uh, he, he is a Freemason. Um, it, it's debatable on how long he remains a Freemason. Um, there's evidence to suggest he joins a lodge and, and it's not for him and he leaves it very quickly, um others suggest that he, he was he stays with it um levy is important because it's from his works uh that a man named albert pike mm. um who is the grand sovereign commander of the scottish right in the 19th century writes a book called a uh, morals and dogma um and pike literally plagiarizes um great chunks of levy in his really work. oh yeah uh yeah I mean, wow. you, you'll be read, you'll be reading pike um, and then you'll you'll flip open a book to Levy and will be like, wait a minute, you know, I, I just read this. I mean I just read this verbatim. <laughs> oh, I mean man. I mean he just he he just lifts stuff uh you know you know completely out of the works of Levi uh Levy and, and just you know just takes it you know completely plagiarizes it. Um and and the the, That's the book crazy. The, yeah the, the Pike book is really uh, more of a study on comparative religion and comparative symbolism more, more than anything. Um, and I guess I guess, one of the footnotes with Levy um, that's always been, you know, it's kind of interesting. I believe Levy dies. I think it's something to the effect of like six months before Alistair Crowley is born. Um, and Cra- Crowley always claimed to be the reincarnation of Elathus I- Levy. Um, so that, I thought always that that was kind of interesting.
0: That's very interesting. I mean, yeah, because Eliphas Levy, he wrote over 20 books on magic, the Kabbalah, you know, alchemical sure. studies, and occultism. I mean, he was, he joined oh, yeah, the I Catholic mean, Church early on. He was ecclesiastical and then he left and just started writing all this esoteric literature. Absolutely. I, I
1: mean, he, yeah, he, I mean, he is, I mean, like I said, in history, in 19th century occultism, I mean, it's him and Blavatsky are the two, you know, main. You know, characters yeah. that you'll come across over and over again when it comes to, you know, the, you know, occultism and certainly influence upon Western occultism. I mean, the 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 the, the impact of Elathus Levy and Madame Blavatsky is
0: substantial. Yes, yeah, so I've read <clears throat> I've read a uh, history of magic, transcendental magic and key of the mysteries from Eliphas Levy. And one thing in history of magic that always stuck with me because I just his writing, even his writing style is amazing. It's clear and it's pretty precise, and he like he's very detailed in, in his writings. I, I love his style, but in history of magic, he tells a very interesting story that comes from the book of the penitence of Adam. Are you fam- you're familiar with uh with that?
1: I have. I, I mean, I have Levy's book here. I have the history of magic of here, but refresh my memory
0: well yeah so he tells a story um it comes out of the book of the Penitence of adam and so adam had three sons one was cain um who signified brute force the other was abel who signified intelligence and mildness um they obviously had some disagreements as we know and in the story it wasn't just cain who killed abel i guess they killed each other in this story and then after that the their inheritance from adam was passed to their the third son seth and so when adam died you know seth was directed by an angel to place three seeds of the tree of life tree of knowledge um, what have you in the mouth of Adam at his burial as a token of eternal life and then those seeds grew um, basically into a tree and it became the infamous burning bush which was how God communicated to Moses and Moses would take a triple branch from that bush and use it as his magical wand which we know he like dropped his wand it turned into a snake when he was trying to you know, prove to people um, his his magi- ma- uh, magical powers, I guess. Um, and the branch, it continued to live and blossom. And as the story goes, it was preserved in the Ark. And then if you fast forward a little bit, King David then found that branch wand and he planted it on Mount Zion. And then that grew into the three trees that were sort of entwined into one tree. And then King Solomon comes along, who's King David's son, um, also called Jedidiah. Uh, he would take three... I guess three giant pieces of wood from each of the tree trunks and he would make he made two pillars for either side of the sacred temple the temple of Solomon um the pillars were uh, Joaquin and, and Boaz I believe is how it was pronounced um which represent either side of the Kabbalistic tree of life and these were then covered with bronze and then a third piece of the wood was placed on the top of the two pillars to complete the entrance to the temple and this piece was meant to keep out the unclean or the unholy Um, One night, some nefarious Levites took the top piece and threw it into the reservoir that surrounded the temple where it remained for quite some time. Fast forward to Jesus Christ um, and his persecution. So the reservoir was either drained or cleaned and the Jews found the beam of wood, which they were clueless as to how important this piece of wood was. And they took that beam of the original Temple of Solomon and placed it over the brook of water called Cedron thereby creating a makeshift bridge. And it was over this bridge that they made Jesus Christ pass over when they arrested him um, in the Garden of Olives. And, well, the executioners, they were kind of unprepared on how to kill him. So they took, basically, out of haste, they took that beam and they formed that beam into a crucifix, which they then crucified Jesus on. So that story is really intense. If, If that is accurate and true, I mean, that is, that's something.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's probably I would I would view it as more of an allegorical story, um, um, because I mean, my my research is that none of the people in the Bible are real people; um, they're just astrological motifs. Right. Um, so, I mean, but you know, the stuff with Yachin and Boaz, um, you know that that they that of course does turn up in masonry. They're you know, the messiah Maso- they get intertwined with the pillars of Enoch um, at some point in time because you have literally two sets of pillars. You have Yachin and Boaz and the pillars of Enoch. The Masonic law, you have the pillars of Enoch that are eventually taken to Solomon's temple and become Yachin and Boaz, um, which you have replicated in in all the Masonic lodges. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's it's, you know, you know, it it just depends on what your interpretation of it is. Um, You know, is it real history or is it, you know, more allegorical? Um, You know,
0: right. I take the Bible as completely allegorical. I mean, I yeah. I have so many discussions with Christians and Catholics. Who are like, no, that is the absolute truth. Like these stories are all real. And it's like, ah, oh, man, I guess. But even though we know that Jesus always talked in parables, you know, and like the whole thing is a parable,
1: right? I mean, well, it's 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 like you know, it's uh, it's it's the whole thing. I, in my opinion, it's it's really more of an astrological manual. Um, is the way I see it is, you know, you have, I mean, you have the, you know, Christianity is Pisces, of course, um, is, is the sun in, is, is the procession of the equinoxes is the sun in the house of Pisces. I mean, all, all the hallmarkers with Christianities are either fish or water or feet. Um, you know, and those are of course the, the 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 symbols of Pisces, and then of course before that you have uh, Aries, which is of course Moses with the ram's horn, and of course a lot of the, the the Hebrew religion incorporates fire, you know, symbolism and iconography, and of course, you know, the end of the age of Taurus is more Moses smashing the golden calf. The golden calf is of course the sun in the house of Taurus. Um, you know, so again, it's 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 more to me allegorical of the sun. You know, mo- you know changing houses uh and, and the worship of the sun adopting uh the, the house that's coming in i mean even even in, in even it, i i mentioned this in one of the books i am probably more than one of the books you know which it's at luke luke 22:10 where um where, where the disciples ask Jesus, who is the son, S U N, um, you know, after you leave the house of Pisces, what house will you go into next? And his response is, you know, I go into the house of the guy holding the pitcher of water, which is Aquarius, of course. Um, so you have, you know, the age of Pisces, which we just concluded. Now we're into the age of Aquarius before Pisces was, you know, Aries, which is, you know, Judaism. Then before that is, you know, the, the Egyptian apis bull, Taurus. You know which is which is the golden calf uh, that Moses smashes. So I've always I've always looked at the Bible as an astrological timekeeping manual. Um, is is the way I view it?
0: Yeah, the, uh, <clears throat> that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. And astrology has been given kind of a bad name. I don't know why, uh, but people kind of look down. They frown upon astrology for some reason. Even though billionaires like you know what millionaires yeah they don't believe in astrology, but billionaires do. Well the. the-
1: yeah, well, the thing, the thing that the thing that sort of has reinforced my my take on this is, and again, this is something we were talking off air, um, is is this whole notion of what Aleister Crowley talked about, which is this, you know, he he prophesized this new coming age of Horus, he called it. Of course, Horus is the sun god, um, and and he, you know, you know, he called it the aeon of Horus. Um, when you break this down, all he is talking about is the age of Aquarius. Um, which of course is the the sign we are in now. Um, what makes this so fascinating to me is if you go back a hundred years and you, you read Crowley and he, he describes, um, you know, what, 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 what this new age is going to be all about. I mean, he gets very detailed about it is how, you know, it will be here, what, what some of its traits are, you know, what the worship of the sun takes on in, in this, in this new sign. Um, and every and and everything he said came to pay is coming to pass. Um, so that's like wow, you know. I mean, yeah. You know, whatever this whatever this Awas uh, figure he was talking to in, in, in at the very early beginning of the 20th century. Um, I mean, people. So many people have just wrote written this off as oh, this is just Crowley being Crowley who was making it all up. I mean, here it is a hundred years later plus. And you know everything this guy was talking about has now come to pass. It,
0: it's it's astounding to me. Yeah, he was getting information from somewhere. Was it Awas who, pretty much, guided him to write a 500 page book in 72 hours? He wrote well. Well, he
1: he he went. He goes to Egypt with his wife, um, and he has. And the wife has this vision. Um, and, and he. It's a long story. I'm not. I'm not going to get. I mean, it's it's a long story. He 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 winds up doing this ritual according to her. And this is to summon this, this, the, the, this, the, his holy guardian angel, which was what he was trying to get in touch with at the, at the, uh, Bolskin house, Lake Boliskin house. This is the sacred magic of Abramel and the mage. At any rate, he seems to have completed this in Egypt. And the wife says to him, if you go to your study, I believe it's on April 2nd, 3rd, or 4th, or somewhere like that, and you sit in your study between, you know, whatever it is at like noon and 2 p.m. for three days, your guardian angel is going to appear. And talk to you, and of course he does this. And according to Crowley, the guardian angel does appear, um, and this is where you get the the dictation of the Book of the Law, Liber Alve Legis, um, which is this holy book um, that's very reminiscent of the Quran um, in the way it's written. Um, you know, where this holy guardian angel is telling Crowley all about this new um, aeon of Horus, this new solar age that's coming, the Aquarian Age. Um, and Crowley spends the rest of his life essentially writing books, talking about this and, and designating, you know, what, what, what the religion of this new age is going to look like. And he creates a tarot card deck for this new age. He he creates a, he creates a Dramatria, um, and, and a Kubala for this new age. Um, and, uh, if you look at it now, um, it is quite remarkable, how accurate this is i mean and when i say quite remarkable it's literally mind-blowing um you know w- w- you know how some of these numbers are turning up to designate this new age that is upon us
0: yeah let's get into that let's get into the the numerology with crowley and uh like the great mother and the go to mendez right so so so
1: so the way the way i the way i um the way i i, I first stumbled onto this was when, when I, when I approach stuff like this and when I really approach stuff like this, it is with a highly skeptical eye. I mean, I approach this as a lawyer, um, that, you know, I, yeah. mean, I mean, I have to see a lot of evidence to convince me of this.
0: Absolutely. And that's, that's good. That's good. Oh
1: yeah. And, and, um, the, it was, it was a path that started not in a way that I, I thought was when I started looking at, it started with really nine 11 was I started, Looking at this, and you will start to see some very important numbers that Crowley uses turning up on nine eleven. And you could just say, okay, you know, maybe it's a coincidence, things like that, you know, whatever. Um, but the rate of it turning up is quite high. Um, and it's unnaturally high. Um, but even then I wasn't convinced of this. And some of the numbers I'm talking about are 77, uh, this 42 number, um a 418 uh, you know, you know, uh, 11, nine, um, these are all numbers that Crowley gets into. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, it was impressive, but I still wasn't there, but it was really when I started going back in time and started looking at things like Columbine, um, and especially the Murrah building, the Oklahoma city bombing, and then you go into Waco, These same string of numbers kept popping up. I mean, and not only were they popping up, but they were popping up with a high rate of frequency, um, and this is what really made me start sitting up in my chair. My, my, my reaction to this initially was, um, that this was that, that what I was looking at was that these numbers were designating, um, this new age of Crowley, this age of Horus and of, of Aquarius and what, what Crowley says in his works are, um, he, he, he gives some very, um, interesting, uh, ph- philosophies on this. He says, um, that the, the new sun god, um, of this, of this age, he, he, de- he gives it a name. He calls it Heru Raha, um, and, and it means Horus sun flesh. And he says this, the sun god is dualistic. It comes in two parts. Um, but then he says something more important than that. And this is, he says this in book four, Magic and Theory. He says, um, very soon, um, this, this Heru-Raha, sun god, t- turns into something else. And this he gets, ties into with Ale- what you mentioned about Elathus Levi. He said the sun in the house of Aquarius represents the goat of Mendez, the, the Baphomet god of the Knights Templar. He said that's it, he said if, essentially if Jesus Christ is what the sun looks like in the house of Pisces and Moses is what the sun looks like in the house of Ares, Baphomet is what the sun looks like in the house of Aquarius. And he gets very descriptive of this. He says it's it's, it's religion is wow. transgenderism, um, it likes it likes climate change activism, uh, but he says that the the God is very bloodthirsty and violent. Um, and what makes this very interesting is he gives this this God Baphomet a number, um, and it's based on Hebrew gematria, and its number is seventy seven. Um, and it comes out of the formation of two Jewish letters that form the word he goat or she goat. It's Ein and Zein. One has a value of seven, the other has a value of 70 for 77. Um, this is, go ahead.
0: Not to cut oh, no, you I'm off, sorry. um, isn't Ein, Zein part of the Kabbalah? Well, yeah, this whole, this whole
1: thing, well, it's, it's Hebrew letters, is is what it is. Um, they're, they're, Hebrew letters. But when you get into Kabbalah and, and it ties into Gematria, um, that, that's part of Kabbalah is the assignment of numbers to to letters. Um, you know that that's how you get ordinal values, Pythagorean reductions, things like that. Um, but then also, if 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 you read Crowley and and you look at it, the one thing he gets into, and this is in the book of Lies in the book and uh, Liber Four Eighteen, is um, he gives this. He he talks about this number forty two, and he says this is the grand number of the curse. This is your kill number um and it's the number 42 and he assigns it this name he it, it seems to be an elemental he calls it the dark mother um is what what he calls this thing um and as i was looking at this you were constantly see these these two entities this 47 or 40, 42 and 77 walk hand in hand they they always are around each other um and it makes sense because The way I saw it was these acts of violence that were going on, um, and, and this death that was occurring. Um, it was like 77 was identify itself as the new sun God, but it was also killing. And it was like, it had to use this number 42 to kill, had to kind of use this dark mother entity. I I describe it in the book that I'm writing is 42 is sort of the dark force, the dark killing force behind 77, um, what makes this so fascinating is is those two numbers, seventy seven and forty two, in um, Crowley's gematria are literally the Wizard of Oz. Um, that is astounding. the number The number seventy seven, Ein and Zion, is pronounced Oz, Ozy Oz. Um, and he calls Baphomet Oz, O.Z. He said, this is the name of the new sun god. 42, the dark mother, um, is the rainbow. And, of course, the Wizard of Oz, most recognizable part of it is over the rainbow. And um, the reason why 42 associates with the rainbow is um, human beings on Earth can only perceive rainbows at 42 degree angles. Um, they don't exist otherwise. So if you see a rainbow, you're at 42 degrees. Um, so... At this point in time, I've really started sitting back and scratching my head and saying to myself, what what the hell is going on here? Um, because I, I, I was under the impression that this was some sort of Crowley manifestation, which I still think it is. But I thought to myself, you know, why is it that whenever I'm looking at these tragedies, there's always these little latent Wizard of Oz references going on? I could give you some examples of it. Yeah. Um, and what 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 I was led to believe was I I have all the books here on Crowley. I have all the books by Crowley, and I have all the books about Crowley. I mean, all the you know Israel Rigardi, you know Churchton, you know Lockman,
0: A.E. Way,
1: yeah, the A.E. weight books, uh, you know Kenneth Grant, the Crowley books, seven seven seven, you know
0: John you know, D. I'm sure you've got his books.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you know the autobiography of Crowley. What is it? A uh, Confessions, seven seven seven, Book of Lies, Libra four eighteen. The reason I say all that is there is no mention anywhere of Crowley having anything to do with the Wizard of Oz. So at this point, I was at an impasse. I thought, well, wait a minute. I'm seeing all these Crowley numbers. Fine. But now I'm also seeing, you know, there will always be buried in here, this little Wizard of Oz reference. How is that turning up here? The only thing I could come up with is... If you, you know, I, 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 I thought there has to be some sort of, you know, and it's why are these Crowley numbers turning up with all this blood and violence? Um, and I, I, the only thing I could come up with was ba- there must've been some sort of Native American curse put down on Baum. Um And the reason I say that is because L. Frank Baum, who wrote the Wizard of Oz stories, um, called for the, after the Battle of Wounded Knee, called for the genocide of Native Americans. I believe I cannot prove this, but I believe that uh, some sort of Native American skinwalker or group of skinwalkers, if there is a such a thing, put down some sort of killing curse on Baum and his family. But for reasons which I do not know, this curse remained inactive and it did not go after Baum and his family. For some reason, this curse remains dormant and it doesn't turn up until The Wizard of Oz goes into production in 38, 39. That's when this curse starts to kick in. And, um, the the, the, it's it's doing two things it is using violence and death and gore to both designate this new sun god baphomet whose number is 77 to let us know that the sun is now going into aquarius but in doing so it's also using the wizard of oz and this is the bomb aspect to identify itself other Crowley numbers appear outside of 77 and 42. Like I said, you'll see the number 418 pop up here and there. There's another demon that Crowley associates with 42 known as Corazone. That his number is 333. When you study this, you will occasionally see a daisy chase, a daisy chain of threes popping up. That's this demon, um, you know, the number nine, the number 11 play into Crowley's uh, Kubala. So I started really, you know, looking at this and, 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 it was astounding to me, starting in 1938, 39, with the production of Wizard of Oz moving forward, that so many tragedies, so many death, uh, deaths, so many, you know, assassinations, you know, were these numbers were turning up, but then buried in there. And you'll find it. If it's not there, it's not part of it. There was always this little latent Wizard of Oz reference in there that was always sort of mocking you. Um, there, I, I felt like this thing was like laughing at you. Um, you know, I, I always kind of felt like when I discovered it, I felt like I was staring at a demon laughing back at me. It's, it was very macabre, uh, shed shivers down my spine. That's and, strange. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and 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 like I said, um, you know, if you'd like some examples of this, I can certainly, um, you know, get into it. Um, What one of the things that you know people have asked me about is, you know, is this the curse of the Kennedy family? Yes, it is. And is this why um, the Wizard of Oz? um was jinxed you know the production of it the filming of it was jinxed i mean margaret hamilton who played the wicked witch um her face was burned off
0: yeah her her
1: her her, her stunt double betty danko her she almost lost a leg um you have a munchkin who probably hung himself
0: yeah, right, it turned,
1: right. Judy, it, it turned judy garland into a dope fiend um buddy epson who was the original tin man um, got aluminum powder in his lungs and it nearly killed him. He had to be replaced with Jack Haley. Right. Um, so, you know, this was, in my opinion, you know, where the Wizard of Oz, um, this is where all the problems start was when this thing goes, you know, into production. Um, I'll point out, I got I to gotta pull up my document here sure. um, because uh, this is Cinema Symbolism 4 I'm looking at right now because I cannot um, commit all this to memory. But um, let me just give you some examples here. Um, so, for example, we will just take the Wizard of Oz. Um, the Wizard of Oz. Um, actually, the name, the Wizard of Oz. I just want to give you this real. No fast. worries, no worries. Um, well, here's some here's some strange numbers. Well, let let me say this to you. The and I'll go back to Crowley's gematria. Um, Crowley Crowley creates this whole numerolo- numerological system for this new age of Horus, this new age of Baphomet. Uh, age of uh, the Aeon of Horus, the Age of Aquarius. Um, and he says he flips he flips things on its head where he says um, in the Bible and in Islam, seven is the high holy number. He now changes that. He said seven is the demonic number. Seventy seven is the goat of Mendes. And if you want to be really evil, seven seventy seven is the quipala That's the satanic forces of the Kubala marshaled. Um, the, the, I, I've heard it pronounced different ways, the Quilipoft, Um, This is 777. This is the diabolical forces of the, um, of the Kubala, you know, unified. Um, the Wizard of Oz um, was, had a budget of $2,777,000. That's interesting. And the book, the, 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 the uh, seminal, the definitive book on the Wizard of Oz, the making of the Wizard of Oz by Al Jean Harmetz was published in 1977. Um, the, Um, the title, the wizard of Oz, the wizard of Oz has a sum of 77. If you use a Pythagorean reduction, if you don't know what that is, that's a form of Kubala where, you you know, you know, there's four ways of, of, of generating these numbers. You have the ordinal value, which is a is one, b is two, y is 25, z is 26. That's ordinal. Reverse ordinal is that backwards where a is 26, b is 25, z is one, y is two. Then you get into the Pythagorean reduced value where, if you take the letters of the alphabet a a through um a through i Are normal. A is one, B is two. It's when you get to the letter J where things change because J is the tenth letter of the alphabet. So J no longer becomes ten. J is back to one because it's one plus zero. So K, which is the eleventh uh, letter of the alphabet, is now two. Where before it's eleven under ordinal, now it's two. So that's Pythagorean reduction. And reverse Pythagorean reduction is that only backwards. So reverse Pythagorean reduction is A is eight because it's 26 2 plus 6 b is 7 2 plus 5 25 z would be 1 and y would be 2 so that's reverse pythagorean wow so okay so just so we're all clear on that i want the people to know how i'm generating these numbers so if you yeah that, i was gonna ask you yeah no that, how that works but no okay. that's that's uh you know it's important to know that um you know that that's how these numbers get get generated um but, but if you look at the, it's just the name, the Wizard of Oz has a sum of 77 uh, using Pythagorean reduction. So right off the bat, we have the number 77 with this. Um, let me just go back real fast. This is uh, really an interesting one. The Wizard of Oz, let me see here. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz began filming on October 13th, 1938, and ended on March 16th, 1939. All right, that's 154 days. Uh, 154 is 77 times 2. And one hundred and fifty four days is exactly forty two percent of the Gregorian solar calendar. So I mean here we have these, you know, kill, killing numbers turning up right
0: right off the get-go. Um, is the, that, the thing is all of that coincidental? Is there a power making these things happen? Is it people behind these coincidences? No, this is this is a super yeah, no, this is a supernatural
1: force that okay. I believe is behind this. Um if 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 like I, I've been asked that question before, like for example, when you get into the Kennedy assassination, where in my opinion you clearly had um, humans, um, you know, like the CIA, you know, and maybe even with Princess Diana, SAS po- possibly involved in their deaths, you know, how is it that this, you know, that these inner workings, these dark conspiracies, yet you have these supernatural, um, you know, numbers manifesting? I believe these numbers manifest supernaturally. I do not believe human beings um, can generate numbers like this or encode numbers like this. And I mean, I can give right. you examples that, you know, will just blow you away. I mean, it's just not humanly possible. I mean, I don't Let's care. Who do you, it.
0: Let's you know. blow yeah, the I mean, listeners I away.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't care who you are. You cannot encode names like numbers like this. The, the point the point I would say is, though, is if you if, if you want to get to like a group like the CIA and they're planning the Kennedy assassination, yet these numbers are popping up. In that world, you're back to the world of Freemasonry because then you're into the philosophies of Anton Mesmer with animal magnetism where there are supernatural forces guiding humankind to do, do things that they're not even aware of. Right. But I believe these numbers my, – my opinion is that these numbers are um, supernatural um, and I, I don't think that uh, – um, Human beings can can encode numbers like this. Let me just pull this back up here. I just got to jump around real fast. It's
0: so interesting how numbers have so, these powers. You know, like how do these numbers uh, emanate power and energy and create things to happen? Well,
1: what 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 they're doing? No, what,
0: I can answer that. What what these numbers are doing
1: is they're designating, they're identifying this new sun god who wants to be worshipped, um, and it wants you know, it's proper. So I mean, for lack of a better word, and it's, and, 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 every time one of these tragedies happens, these numbers pop up and it's, it's this thing saying, you know, Hey, you know, you know, you know, I'm here, um, you know, worship, worship me man. essentially. Yeah. The, the, the thing, the thing that I would say is in, in analyzing this is the goat of Mendez's number, this new sun, God's number 77, this thing sticks out like a sore thumb. It's the 42 that hides, um, that, that thing, doesn't like to be spotted. That thing, you know, keeps quiet. That thing hides in the shadows, as it were. The dark mother elemental. This dark mother entity doesn't like to be discovered. I, I, I can tell you that because her numbers, her number is much, much, much harder to find. The goat of Mendez uh That thing stands out like a sore thumb. I mean, he. he that thing has no problem being noticed. And that's um, also and representative to be
0: as as Baphomet, right? Yeah, this is
1: Baphomet, right? This is this is the Elathis Levy Goat of Mendez you know, which Crowley says is the new sun god of the new aeon. Um, so, I mean, just for, just for example, um, um, it it, 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 if so, if we go to the world trade center, um, you know, we just get into the number seven. Um,
0: yeah, let's get the, into nine 11 because this is always interesting no matter what.
1: Yeah. Well, right. The, 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 the um, um, So, so, so we, we, we have, um, the, oh, and I should point out also the wizard of Oz has a sum of of 77 using Pythagorean production. Interestingly, it first aired on television in November, 1956 on CBS, but from nine, from 9.00 PM to 11.00 PM, 9.11, um, was the first time it aired on television. Um, at the World Trade Center, so for example, if we get into some of these numbers, um, if, if I mean, again, this just can't be a coincidence. Um, that morning at the World Trade Center, 343 FDNY firefighters died battling uh, the fires in the World Trade Center. 343 is 7 cubed. That's 7 times 7 times 7. Up until 9-11… Up until that day, the total number of fire department, of FDNY firemen who lost their lives on active duty in New York City was 777. Uh, th- yeah,
0: that is just insane.
1: Um, the time between the first flight, 11, striking the North Tower was 846 a.m. The final flight, 93, crashed at San- Shanksville, Pennsylvania at 10.03 a.m. That's 77 minutes later. Um the um let's see here
0: that Uh, would have to have been human intervention right what's that to have those that time that that time separation that would have to have been the human intervention because i believe man those planes were were flown into the towers with remote control that's what i have been led to through all my research i that's what i believe in now and so the seventy-seven minutes—that had to have been humans. I don't think so. I don't
1: because I, I mean I, the number just turns up in too too many ways. I mean it—it's it, just um, I mean you know it—it it just can't be generated this way. Flight ninety-three plowed into a reclept stripe mine going four hundred ninety knots, not knots. That's seven times seventy at three hundred at five sixty-three miles an hour. That's five plus six plus three equals fourteen. That's seven doubled seventy-seven. Seven minutes. Seven minutes after that, the upper floors of the Pentagon collapsed. Um, fl- oh, here's a good one. This is if you're familiar with Crowley, the the magic word of the new aeon is abrahadabra, and that has a value of 418. Okay, Flight 11 departed Logan International Airport on runway 4R. R is the 18th letter of the alphabet. That's 418. Abrahadabra. Um, the terrorist attack that morning killed 2,977 people. Um, the, 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 where, where this really becomes strange is, um, at the Pentagon. And of course, this isn't any surprise because this is, you know, the go of Mendez is a God of war, a God of violence. Um, so you have, I mean, on, 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 um, flight on, on, you know, on nine 11, let me see here, you have flight 93, I mean, excuse me, flight 77 departs Dulles International Airport at 8.20 a.m. Dulles International Airport is on the 77th meridian. Uh, It crashes into the Pentagon, which is also on the 77th meridian. Um, It it, it departs Dulles at 8.20. It crashes into the Pentagon at 9.37. This is flight 77. Um, It's airborne for exactly 77 minutes. And it crashes into the Pentagon 577 minutes into the day. Um, The Pentagon has seven floors and is 77 feet tall. um, And the plane that was dispatched... The plane that was dispatched, the uh, the, the the national, the, the 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 military plane that was dispatched after this attack from uh, the the whatever it was uh, the one I forget the name of it, the one outside of Washington was Venus seventy seven, um, and Venus in antiquity is depicted as a seven pointed star, so seven 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 was the flight that the military flight, the Looking Glass flight. Um, ah, what yeah, was interesting glass. is, and, and we, we we get into the Wizard of Oz illusions. Um, You know, again, you can't have all this without mention of the Wizard of Oz. Remember, this is a curse put down against L. Frank Baum. So when Flight 77 hit the Pentagon, um, it killed exactly on the spot 124 federal employees. um, And that mirrors the 124 midgets or little people MGM hired to play the munchkins um, in the Wizard of Oz. You will always have you will always have with this stuff, these with these tragedies, these little Wizard of Oz citations buried in here somewhere um and, and and that's that's what you know makes it makes it so interesting to look at um, so you know those are just some of the there's a lot more those are some of the numbers on around 911. if you go back in time you will find these same numbers um pervading things like the murrah building waco uh, Princess Diana. These these numbers are all over her. Um, this thing kills celebrities. I mean, imagine it goes after people as well. People that we don't even know yeah, about. You'd think so? Um, you know, just because I, I can't. You know. You know, I mean I can't look these people up on nine. I'm sure there's people who have died, you know, you know, that this thing has gone after that we'll never know about. Um, I can do the celebrities because they're part of the public re- record and I could I could see I could see them much more easily. But I, I have no doubt that this thing hasn't killed people that, you know, we may never know about. Um, but 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 like I said, the the one thing that's always um, that's always present with this are, are these numbers 77 and 42. Um, this is designating the new sun god um, for this new age. And you'll find numbers like 333 3, 3 popping up here and there. You'll find this number 418 popping up here and there. Um, but the one constant is is um, in all these tragedies, you must have some sort of latent uh, reference to the Wizard of Oz in there. I mean, that that always has to be there.
0: All right, so jump into uh Princess Diana. I'm interested in hearing about that.
1: Okay, let me let me let me fast forward here a little bit. I just got to pop this up. There's a couple with her. She she has she has some really unique ones. Let me see here.
0: I recently saw um some pictures of that night when she, you know, when she died the car she got into originally had a different license plate than the car that was crashed in the tunnel.
1: That's I, that that's explainable because what they did was the car that she got into went around the corner and she got out of it and got into another Mercedes. Okay. Um, and that was, that, that was, that was to throw off um, the, the, um, paparazzi. the, the, the paparazzi it didn't work, no. but, um, but that was one of them. Um, the um, princess Diana's uh, funeral on September 6, 1997, um, was 384 minutes in length, um, and that signifies um, that that signalized the 384 page count of the annotated Wizard of Oz which was first published by Clarkson and Potter in 1973. Um, so her 384-minute funeral um, parallels the 380 pages from the annotated Wizard of Oz. Um, and on September 6, 2010, was the uh, Wizard of Oz sing-along Blu-ray edition was released in the United Kingdom. So her funeral anticipates the uh, Wizard of Oz sing-along edition Blu-ray released in the United Kingdom uh, 13 years later. Uh, but let's get into her death a little bit. Um. So, so here we have. Um. The, the one thing that's always interesting with Diana is, of course, her name is the ultimate lunar goddess. Um. Is Diana, of course, Artemis or Hecate? And whenever you're looking at Diana, um, you always want to look up at the moon because her life runs parallel with the moon. Um. So, for example, the Crowleyan number for the moon in his new geometry is the number eighty-one. Um. And and Diana um, was married in 1981, and um, as a part of her uh, uh, gift engagement present, um, she was given an 81 Ford Escort Ghia, um, and its license plate, believe it or not, is W E V. Excuse me, W E V two nine seven W um which has a um value of three hundred and seventy, which according to Crowley is the spiritual aspect of the goat of Mendez. Um the 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 term Ford Escot Gia, that's G-H-I-A, um has a sum of seventy-seven using reverse Pythagorean reduction. So again, right off the bat we're just you know that's look crazy. staring down these uh Crowley in numbers. Um and and uh <clears throat> Um, let's see here again, we're dealing with moon symbolism. Uh, princess Diana was born on July 1st, 1961. Um, that's a, um, that's the sign of cancer, which is governed by the moon. Um, and then we go ahead to her wedding, which was on, uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, her wedding was at the end of, I believe July or June of 1981, When she was married, uh, right before her wedding, 14 days before she wed, um, which is 17, which is 14, which is seven plus seven, which is 17, 77, excuse me, was a lunar eclipse on July 17th. Um, This was and two days after she was married. um, There was a solar eclipse. And this is a bad omen. This this foretells her nuptials are no good. They're going to end in divorce, and they did. Seven hundred eighty-seven weeks later, in August nineteen ninety-six. So again, seven seven. Oh, what? um, and what's interesting with this is the one thing that this curse likes to do is overlap. Um, so you'll find references to coronavirus in Princess Diana's death. You'll find references to coronavirus in 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 nine eleven. You will find references to JFK with coronavirus. Um, the Diana, the Diana uh, marriage ending in eight hundred seventy-seven weeks is a reference, is a citation to the Kennedy assassination. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald died um, seven hundred eighty-seven minutes into the day on November twenty-fourth, nineteen sixty-three. So again, it's a, it's it, this thing loves to overlap. Um, you will constantly see little. You will constantly see little. Um, things foretelling other events. Um, I'll get into the-
0: how about Jack Ruby?
1: Right, and of course, well, Jack Ruby, Lee Harvey Oswald, 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 Oz, O-Z yeah. Oswald, the goat. Right, what's Oswald? He's the scapegoat, right? You know, I mean, he's the the patsy. Oswald, the goat of Mendes, who's of course is done in by the Ruby Slippers, Jack Ruby. And that's your little
0: wizard. <laughs>
1: that's your Wizard of Oz citation. Um, Diana. Diana's son, first son, William, the heir to the English throne, was born on June 21st. If you don't know, that's the summer solstice. Um, That's the sign in cancer, again, ruled by the moon. And on that night, there was a solar eclipse. Um, This is when the moon passes between the earth and the sun. Um, And this happened in that. And that was a bad omen. Yeah, that's no good. That's a bad omen. And what's interesting is um, that eclipse, that that solar eclipse occurred in the house of the the moon. The moon was in that on that day in the house of Gemini, the twins, Um, again, twin towers, you know. Think of something is something like that. Um, her second son, Harry, was born um, a few days after a full moon on September fifteenth, nineteen eighty four. Um, that date has a value of seventy seven using Pythagorean reduction. Um, and let's see here. We'll go along on the night. And again, this is I haven't even gotten into some of the, the other stuff on the night that Diana died on August thirty first, nineteen ninety seven. Uh, the, there was a, there was um, the moon was a waning crescent. That means it's disappearing. That means it's dying. Um, and it was in the sign of Leo the lion. And if you don't know, that rules the heart. And of course, that's what did in Diana. She died of heart complications um, from the car crash. It tore her upper uh, left pulmonary vein and Um So, you know, the moon is always, you know, whatever the moon is doing, Diana's reflecting it here on Earth. Um, interestingly, the night after she died, this was on September 1st, um, there was another solar eclipse. Um, and, uh, this, let's see here. Yeah. And that, that heralds, uh, let's see here. Oh, and here's another one. Well, and I'll skip over that. Cause I didn't get into that right now. The, the one thing that that's interesting with William, um, is he was the first, uh, he was the first, um, Prince of Wales born to a princess of princess in Wales in 77 years. So there's your number 77 with him. Um, and then
0: we get into, how does that happen, man? It's and crazy. then we get
1: into, we'll get into, um, some of the, uh, Crowley symbolism with Diana. Um, cause it's not only those numbers. I mean, you'll find that you'll find that his gematria and, and, and what, what he predicts, um, you know, it's all over these people. Um, in the book of what L- so are William and Harry cursed are they looking at something bad happening I, to I, I I mean you know can I use this to for to predict things out I don't know um, I can tell you what I could tell you just looking back um, if you get into Crowley's um, this is really an interesting one in the in the book of lies um, he has a ritual called the star sapphire um, and this is a banishing ritual of the hexagram um, and this is chapter 36. And of course, thirty-six is six squared. Um, Diana's engagement ring was an eighteen-carat sapphire stone um, surrounded by fourteen diamonds, and again, um, fourteen diamonds is seven doubled, seventy-seven. 77. Um, but chapter thirty-six—that's um, Diana's age at the age—that's the age she died at—was thirty-six years old, um, and that's chapter thirty-six. It's called the Star Sapphire. So not only does that chapter foretell her engagement ring, but also her age at her death. Um, Fascinating. Um, Diana wore necklaces fashioned by a designer named Stephen Bernhard, um, who worked at a place in in, in the West End called Seventy Seven Diamonds, um, and she also sported throughout her life emeralds, rings, diamonds, chokers. Of course, bringing forth Emerald City. Um, interestingly. Um, seventy-seven people today think that her most iconic fashion was the revenge dress. This was that black sheer number she wore uh, that the night that Charles admitted uh, having, you know, an, an extramarital affair with uh, Carmela Parker Bowles. Um, she wore she wore uh, the revenge dress on June 29th, um, nineteen ninety four. Um, this syncs with the June twenty ninth, nineteen thirty nine appearance of Judy Garland um, on a radio show called Maxwell Huff Coffee Time, um, where she performed with the rain- the song uh, "Over the Rainbow" live for the very first time. And interestingly, um, she wore the dress on June 29th, nineteen ninety four. That's forty two days after the death of uh, former First Lady Jackie Kennedy Onassis, who was an equally uh, you know legendary fashion icon, just like Diana. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, the, the, let's see here. We'll, 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 oh, she wore the dress three days before her 33rd birthday. And again, here's your three, three, three. This is the demon Corazon being summoned, um, without anyone knowing it. Um, and interestingly, um the, the date of June 29th, this is fascinating. Um, and again, this is some overlap here for you. The date of June 29th, 1994 has a reverse ordinal value of 110. Um, 110 is the number of floors in the World Trade Center. But worst of all, Um, this predicts the 110 minutes exactly that she lingered at the accident scene in the ambulance before going to the Paris hospital. Um, so that's, that's fascinating to me. Um, wow. Oh, this is another interesting one. Um, the other iconic dress she wore, this is known as the Travolta dress. This is the one she wore in 1985 at the dance when she danced with John Travolta at the White House. Um, she wore this on the night of November 9th, 1985. That date has a ordinal sum of 154. That's 77 times two. Um, November 9th is 9-11 backward. Um, and interestingly the time span between November 9th 1985 and Diana's death on August 31st 1997 is 11 years and nine months which is 9/11 backwards again um, this is where this really gets spooky though um, is the um, the the funeral the funeral of her is held oh she oh, here we'll get into this a little bit um, let me see here. the the car she was driving in, and you mentioned it that it was swapped out. The death car was a Mercedes Benz S280. Um, that 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 car has a value, um, an ordinal sum of four hundred eighteen. That's abrahadabra. That's the word of the new age. The car's drunk chauffeur, Henry Paul. His name has a total of forty nine. That's seven squared, using reverse Pythagorean reduction. And the bodyguard. Trevor Reese Jones, this is the guy who survived the accident, um, was born in West Germany. But at age 10, he moved with his family to where else? Uh, Oster Wesley. Oster Wesley on the west border. O-Z Westerly, spelled O-S-W-S-T-R-Y, Os Westry, which, of course, is Os Westry, the goat of Mendez on the border. Um, Diana, when she died with her boyfriend, Dodi Dodi Fayed, Dodi was 42 years old, by the way. That's the dark mother's number. Um, yeah, so that's no good. Um, at, if you remember this, um, the thing, the, 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 tunnel that she died in right above it is the flame de la libertad. This is the giant replica of the flame of the, that the Statue of Liberty holds, um, in New York Harbor. Um, and the flame of Liberty became her makeshift memorial. Interestingly, um, in 2018, that whole area was renamed Place Diana in her memory. Right across the street from it, from, from the Place Diana, is a restaurant known as La Grande Corona. And again, this is your coronavirus uh, re- reference with um, with this. Um, her her funeral at Westminster Abbey, you'll remember, was um, P- Elton John uh, performed the song Candle in the Wind, 1997, and this was also retitled "Goodbye English Rose." All right, um, "Candle in the Wind," the original. All right, you ready for this? Is from the seventh studio album of his um, called "What Else But Goodbye Yellow Brick Road." What um, the hell? So here's your here's your Wizard of Oz reference. Um, and "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" has a length just shy of seventy seven minutes, and was released seven months. Almost to the day after Pink Floyd's "Dark Side of the Moon" hit record stores, and of course that syncs with um, "The Wizard of Oz." "Candle in the Wind," are you ready for this one? Um, This, of course, is the song to Marilyn Monroe, and it's the it, it follows. If you if you look at the album "Candle in the Wind," follows a song. This one I couldn't believe called "Funeral for a Friend." "Love Lies Bleeding," which syncs with Diana because the pinball wizard Elton John was her best friend and he sang at her memorial service funeral for a friend. And she was, it was her funeral because her, she bled all over the backseat of the Mercedes Benz, you know, you know, enduring this horrible end. Um, And of course, did he know,
0: did he know these things Who's that,
1: or this, Elton John. No, I mean, I, I, I think, I, like, I think, I think what I'm, this is crazy. I think what I'm describing, I mean, I don't think a human being can, can do any of this. I think this is, a su- no, I, I no. think a supernatural force is manipulating all this. Um, uh, and again, why is it doing this? It wants to be recognized. Um, if you remember, Candle in the Wind, all right, is is a song to Marilyn Monroe. So it begs the question, does Marilyn Monroe have anything in common with Princess Diana? Yes. They both died at the age of 36, and they both died in the month of August. Um, so so they're, they're linked there. Um, let's see here. Um the the well, I will skip over that because I, I need some more uh, background information. I'd have to give a lot more background on that. But that's some of the Princess Diana stuff um, that okay. that that is 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 just you know crowding in numbers seventy seven forty two, um, and and how these numbers are just killing people. Um, and and again, I, I will stress I will stress to you and the listeners that. Um, the, the one thing I've been looking at this thing now a little shy of a year. There's a couple things I can tell you about this curse. It's very vicious. It's active. It's it's not going away. Um, it's still kinetic. It's still out there. Um, and it's very sardonic and cruel. I mean, it likes laughing at death and terror. And the more suffering, the more children that are murdered, the more this thing is made happy. Um, it's, it's very cruel. It's a very... Um, you know, sort of uh, mocking satanic force. It, it's very, very dark. Um, when, when I when I examine when I examine this stuff and I see these numbers, uh, so many times, literally, um, I, I feel like I'm staring at a demon laughing at me. That that's what it feels yeah. like. Yeah. So is this connected to Malachianism? The worship of Moloch? No, I, I, I don't, th- I don't think it's connected to that. I, th- I think, I think what it's connected to, it's connected to the sun has left the house of Pisces, where it's been for the last two thousand, two thousand one hundred years. It's now into Aquarius, the god of the sun, god of Aquarius. If Crowley is to believe, then I believe he should be, is this sun god Baphomet. Its number is 77. It's bloodthirsty. It likes death. It likes gore. Um, It's assisted by this dark mother elemental whose number is 42. And it kills using the Wizard of Oz as its hallmarker. Um, and it's assisted sometimes by a demon named Corazon, um, the Dweller of the Abyss, is, is what this thing is known as. Um, and occasionally, sometimes these other Crowleyan numbers pop up, um, such as 418 and 93. We haven't even gotten into the stuff with 93. Um if, if you're, if, if, if the listeners aren't aware, um, the number 93, um, is, uh, is, is do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. That's the mantra of the new age. Um, and you will, you will see that number pop up, uh, repeatedly with this stuff. I mean, if you go back to nine 11, of course you had flight 93, um, the crashed in Shanksville, um, flight 93 yeah. was delayed exactly 42 minutes on the runway, the dark mother, right. um, you know, and, and again, it's it's just when 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 flight 77 um, struck the Pentagon, it came in at a 42 degree angle. Um, the, the coordinates of the Pentagon, or excuse me, of the World Trade Center, um, I'd have to pull these up, but um, it was 42 degrees, 42 degrees north, or something like that. Um, so, so these the, the one thing I will say is these numbers always have to be there. Um, if they're not there, it's not this. Um, but again, you will find these numbers. I mean, there was some of the stuff with Diana. I got into some of the stuff with nine 11. You'll find it with Columbine. You will find it with the Kennedy assassination. Um, I mean, you'll find it with world war two. I mean, the wizard of Oz is released, um, on August 25th, 1939, seven days later, world war two starts. I mean, there's your number seven. Um, I mean, what was the car that Hitler drove around in? I mean, it was a Mercedes Benz 770. Hitler was born on April 20th. April is the fourth month, 2042 four, two plus zero, 42. There's your dark mother. Um, these numbers are, I mean, I was on another show and the guy said, well, is this a process of elimination with these numbers? I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand these numbers, you know, especially 77 scream off the page at you. I mean, they just are all over the damn place. Um, you know, let me, let me get into, um, one of the ones that's amazing, um, is the Murrah building. This was the Oklahoma city bombing. Um, and, and let me let me just give you a couple examples out of this. Um, one of the things that was interesting with the Murrah building was they nailed Terry Nichols um, by because he had aluminum powder in his house. Um, and this is the same crap that got in Buddy Epson's lungs when he played the Tin Man that nearly killed him. Um, if you don't know, the reason that Terry Nichols had um, aluminum powder is because it increases in explosions potency by 77%. Um, the, the, um, the Murrah building in Oklahoma City was built in 1977. Um, it, it sits off of route 77 in Oklahoma City. Um, it was, uh, blown to smithereens. It has nine stories, by the way, and, uh, was blown to smithereens at nine, oh, two a.m. nine plus two is 11, nine plus 2, 11, nine floors, 11, nine, 11. You always have foreshadowing with these things. Um, 9-11, by the way, happened 77 months after the Murrah building blew up. Um, the, the, um, 42 was hidden in this thing. Um, because, uh, for, it was, it was people, people on the lower floors were drowning because of the air conditioning water, um, which was set at exactly right. 42 degrees, by the way. Um, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. The, the, um, oh, the, the guy who, the, uh, Blaster McVeigh, all right, drew, drew, escaped in a 1977 Ford Mercury, and he was arrested 77 minutes after the explosion. Mercury, by the way, is the destroying element; it's the destroying agent. Um, you know, it's it's mercury. Mercury is always the is the destroyer. You you will find that occasionally the guy who lit up the McDonald's in in the early 1980s drove a, a black Mercury. Um, mercury is is alchemical. That's that's the destroying agent. Um, The, um, so that's some of the stuff with the, uh, with, um, there's more with this. Why can't I find this with, uh, the Murrah building? Oh, the date that it blew up, um, April 19th, 1995, that has a value of 77, um, using Pythagorean reverse reduction. Um, so the date that it blew up has a value of 77. Um, then we have, oh, the guy, and, and here's another one with this, um. The, it was it was financed Terry Nichols one of the conspirators stole a cachet of 77 guns from a man named Roger Moore uh-huh. to help finance the attack um, Nichols was born on April 1st 1950 55 that has an ordinal value of 77 um and his attorney was disbarred at age 77 or something I can't remember what that was and the other thing there was another thing with this it was screwy um after, after the Murrah report, the Oklahoma Department of Civil Emergency released a 77-page 77, 77 report on the terror incident. Um, 77 people were treated at hospitals for lacerations because of Oklahoma City. One of the other ones is interesting. Um, I'll get off of Murrah Building real quick, and I'll go back to 9-11, and th- this one's fascinating. Um, and again, I always, I always talk about these little latent Wizard of Oz references when, when the first, it, it, the, the New York City police code for massive accident. Um, for Matt, you know, for, for, for like the worst case scenario of like all hands on deck is code 1060. Um, that that's what went out after the, after flight 11 hit the North towers, they sent out alarm or code 1060. That's basically like, you know, a five alarm fire, you know, major deaths, you know, all hands on deck. Um, 1060, if you're not aware is, is MGM's production code number for the wizard of Oz. I thought that was crazy. That is crazy. So yeah, those are those are those are just some examples of this. Um, this is literally uh, the subject, uh, at least part of the subject, of my new book called Cinema Symbolism Four. Um, I've been working on this um, for for a, a well over the last year. Um, the one thing that I was kind of happened to me with this was I was writing it, and as I'm doing it, I will find other examples. But I kind of had to put my foot down. I thought, you know, this, this will never end. So what I decided to do was, um, we're going to do Cinema Symbolism for That, that will be the next book out. Um, this gets all into this, I call it the Rainbow Oz Killing Curse. I, I can't think of anything else to call this thing. Um, but, um, with, with this, with this, with, with, with this, I, I was looking at, it and I decided to do a book called Cinema Symbolism Oz, which is just going to be all the Wizard of Oz stuff. We're going to get into this curse. We're going to get into a lot more examples of this curse. We're going to get into the Gnostic and Kabbalistic themes in the movie. We're certainly going to delve into the Pink Floyd uh, material with with the Dark Side of the Moon. So, so I, I, I kind of I'm going to do a whole book just on the Wizard of Oz if people just want that alone. But I'm um, in in Cinema Symbolism Four. There will be a great portion of this stuff with the uh, with this with this Wizard of Oz. Killing killing curse is what i call man,
0: it man that killing curse there was another killing curse i'm trying to find it <clears throat> the same situation <clears throat> Uh, I've just never seen anything like this with these numbers popping I think up. Like it was, oh, this. The Shining, I believe, also has like a Native American killing curse on it, right? Because the uh, the Overlook Hotel was built on an Indian burial ground.
1: Here's what I can right. tell you about The Shining. Well, The Shining is fiction. Right. That that's just fiction in the movie. If 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 you watch that, this is something I delved into in my other books. Is is there's a whole interplay going on between um, Western European intrusion and, and the native Americans that's going on inside, inside the, uh, movie. Um, the, the, the curse, this curse though takes out Stanley Kubrick. Um, he falls victim to it. There's a lot of celebrities that do. Um, it killed Stanley Kubrick. It kills Kobe Bryant. It kills Michael Jackson. It killed Carrie Fisher. It killed her mother, Debbie Reynolds. Um, They all, they all fell victim to this. Interestingly. Um, and like I said, this thing loves overlap. Um, Kubrick invokes the number 42 repeatedly in, um, in, in the shining. Um, I don't think he did it. He did it intentionally. I, it's a reference. There's a lot of biblical imagery in in that movie. Um, and and I think he's doing it. I think he was using the number 42 to summon yeah. uh, the, the 42 year reign of the or the whatever it is, the 42 weeks or months or day. I can't remember. Reign of the Antichrist in Revelation. I don't think Kubrick knew it was a kill number. If he, if he did, I, I can't imagine he would use it. Um, interestingly, his last movie came out on July 16th, 1999. I July 16th, shirt. is of course. What's that?
0: Eyes Wide Shut.
1: Well, yeah, it's Eyes Wide Shut, but it's 77. July 16th is seven. Pl- July is the seventh month. 16 is one plus seven. His final movie comes out on 77. If you don't know, July 16th, 1999, the same move, the same day that Eyes Wide Shut comes out is the same day JFK Jr. died. Yes. Um, yeah. At yep. the, at, at, in in the um, airplane crash off of Martha's Vineyard. Um, you know, you know, again, you'll find overlap with this thing. Um, you know, there, there, there's uh you know you'll find all sorts all sorts of overlap um with with this thing um you know the one of the things that motivated um terry nichols um and, and mcveigh to blow up the 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 um uh, the one of the wizard of oz references with that was uh the motivated them blow up the murrah building was ruby ridge the ruby slippers uh the ruby ridge standoff um interesting yeah, i was gonna and, ask you about that how does that tie in Yeah, that's another one. I mean, you will always find these little, these little Wizard of Oz citations going on, um, you know, with this stuff, you know, and, and there's one of them with uh, the Murrah building was spawned by um, Ruby Ridge. Uh, Another one was the Waco incidents. Waco, Waco was off route seven, the Waco, the Waco complex is off route 77. And Waco has a value of 42. I can't remember. I think ordinal value. And the Waco ranch was on a 77 acre ranch, acre property. By the it way. just
0: doesn't make sense. It's so just, your it 70, doesn't make sense. So crazy.
1: Well, well, I, 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 I think, I think it does
0: make well, sense it does. If, if you it look does, at but- it.
1: Yeah, if you look at it, I mean, if you look at it through a man-made lens, I don't think it's humanly possible because right. I don't think humans can encode, stuff like that. It's a supernatural event going on where this sun god, this new sun god is trying to draw attention to itself. Um, and, and like I said, it's using this 42 kill number um, to, to, to you know, to, to do people in. Um, I mean, like, you know, I mean, we can go into the – I mean, I'd I, I have to pull it up, but I mean the name – You know Lee Harvey Oswald. I remember. I can't remember if it's ordinal has a has a value of. I think it's reverse Pythagorean has a value of seventy seven. I mean Kennedy Kennedy is killed. um, You know. You know. You know. The the book depository is seven seven floors. Oswald shoots him in the far left, you know, on a floor with seven windows. Um, the license plate on Kennedy's car is G G yeah. uh, G is the seventh seven, letter of seven. the alphabet 77. And he's killed approaching route 77 in, in Dallas. Um, that's the Stemmons freeway. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, all, all, all your stuff, right. Right. And interestingly with Kennedy, one of the things that's really bizarre with him is, um, right before he dies, um, this this company called Educard puts out a forty two card set um, depicting his life, um, forty two cards. And then right after his death, Tops releases a set of cards depicting his life that's seventy seven cards. I mean, it's amazing.
0: What? Yeah. I just the man. I yep. just don't get it. That's. I mean, I've always felt that, that there's something supernatural in this world that's that's doing something beyond our comprehension, and like this is it, like this is exactly what it is. I mean, if
1: – yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if 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 I mean, if you go, I mean, I, I have to, I'd have to pull it up, but if you go into like, um, Columbine, um, Columbine, the shooting spree last lasted the 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 the. the oh, one of the one other thing I'll say with um. I'll say with uh, – I'll leave the Murrah Building on this. Some people think it's a conspiracy that that Nichols and um, McVeigh were given a, a – a, uh, uh, what is it? The mother of all bombs. I can't remember what it's called. It's a thermite bomb or something like that that really the, – the, the theory is that it was a fertilizer bomb that did all the damage. People have looked at it, said that's not strong enough. That this was a—I um, can't remember what it's called. It's, it's the nickname, the mother of all bombs. Um, hang on, let me pull it up. I can find it real fast. It has it has a
0: the um, uh, massive ordnance air blast? Moab.
1: That's yeah, the Moab. The that's the mother of all bombs, but it, it's called something else. It's a thermite bomb or something like that. At any rate, I'll leave it alone. But but at any rate. Um, What's interesting with that bomb, that mother of all bombs, is is, is the, the, the one of the key components of it that distributes the electrical charge that causes the detonation to be so deadly um, is what's known as the bleed resistor 777, of all things. What? And, well, like, if you go to Columbine, I mean, this is, you know, again, this is when, you know, when I started looking at this is when you start saying, wait a minute, you know, there's something to this. Col- Columbine um, occurs on April 20th. Uh, two 20th is two plus zero. April is the fourth month, 42. Um, and the Columbine shooting lasted exactly 49 minutes, which is seven squared. That's seven times seven. Um, if you look at, um, the, some of the more recent ones, um, Dylan roof, this was the guy who shot up the black church in Atlanta. He peeled off exactly seventy-seven shots in the in 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 the the Atlanta church. This was the African American church. If you go to Sandy Hook, um, Lanza Adam Lanza, the shooter, when he was in the Sandy Hook, peeled off exactly one hundred and fifty-four shots. That's seventy-seven times two. Um, I mean, that's uncanny.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned uh, that Joe McDonald's Ysijo massacre shooting. Yes, that's it. Yeah, uh, that James Huberty. I did an episode on James Huberty a while back and that lasted seventy seven minutes. Seventy seven minutes. Exactly. So.
1: That lasted seventy seven minutes.
0: And that's the exact
1: um time that the other one lasted. Um the guy the guy that just happened. Um Oh, the Yavaldi one, yeah. Yivaldi. The Yavaldi shooting was seventy seven minutes. Yeah, that's seventy seven minutes also. Oh, well, this thing also killed Robin Williams. Uh that's he's another person who fell victim to Explain this. Explain
0: that one he he has
1: some really bad
0: i haven't thought about robin williams robin in quite williams. some time cuz he allegedly hung himself right
1: yeah he hung himself right um yeah he's got bad he's got real bad numbers um with him um he was born on um june july 21st 1951 that has a reverse ordinal sum of 77 um he won his only he won his he and he won one oscar over his thirty-seven year career, this was for Goodwill Hutton hunting at the seventieth Academy Awards. Um, he he he. And again, the, the the rainbow. The rainbow is um, the dark mother, and this is how he became famous: was wearing rainbow colored suspenders on Mork and Mindy, which was his claim to fame. Uh, um, yeah. The, na- the 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 title of the show Mork and Mindy has a value of forty nine using Pythagorean reduction. That's seven times seven. He, William's most memorable character is arguably, arguably Mrs. Doubtfire, which was released at, in 1993. That was the only movie that he made that year. He was 42 years old. Um, and what's interesting about that is it was translated. It spawned a 1997 Indian Hindu language pastiche called Chachi 420, of all things, 42, <laughs> 420. Um, he plays a character in Death to Smoochie known, known as Rainbow Randolph Smiley. Uh, Um, the rainbow again yeah and uh interestingly he was uh he guest starred on sesame street seven times um with his last appearance uh being in season 42 episode 24 24 is 42 backward um man
0: can't get uh, away from it
1: no you can't The, the the um the um the, the, in, in San Francisco, between Highway 101 and Spencer, Davis, uh, Spencer Drive and Alexandria Avenue, is the Robin Williams Tunnel, um, which has a rainbow painted over it. Um, and after he died, um, after he died, there was a documentary on Amazon release called "Robin's Wish," which runs uh, 77 minutes. Um, he was in a movie. This is a movie that that was his, I call this his gallows pole. Um, no one remembers this thing. It's a movie called Jack, um, that came out in 1996. It's a Francis Ford Coppola film. Um, and in it, uh, he, he plays a kid in it who ages 10 times the normal rate. So at, 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 at 10, he, right. ap- he, he appears to look 40. It's kind of a remake of big um but at any rate the 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 um what makes this interesting is his mother is played by Diane Lane and they, they the movie starts at a costume party um where she is dressed as the wicked witch of the west excuse me the wicked witch of the excuse me excuse me the wicked witch of the east wearing the ruby slippers this is the one who gets crushed by the house and she, she's pregnant and she she goes and the movie opens she's at a party and the date of the party believe it or not is September 11th 1990 in 1986 so the movie opens what? on nine eleven, um, and and the mother is dressed as the Wicked Witch of the East at a Bow Arts Ball. Um, this is Karen Powell played by Diane Lane. Yeah, she's the Wicked Witch of the East um, and she gives birth to Jack. Um, the husband is dressed as the Tin Woodman. This is, um, you, you know, this is uh, the, 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 you know, the, the husband is dressed up as the Tin Woodman. Um, interestingly, this movie features some um, very uh, dark 9-11 imagery in it. Um, they go to a, um, interestingly, they go to a treehouse at one point that looks like a mini skyscraper. Believe it or not, that has a truncated pyramid on top with the all seeing eye. Um, when they get up into the pyramid, they start bleeding like goats. They start impersonating a goat, a goats. Uh, one of them starts med- mentioning that Robin Williams is going to grow a goatee. So they start bleeding like vo- goats. I say, you know, invoking Baphomet. Um, they, he invites, he invites his tutor wow. up to this, to this top level of this, of this world, of this skyscraper like treehouse, but the weight's too much. So it comes crashing down on his own footprint. Um, Hmm. which is strange. I I recommend watching The movie. 11 Symbolic. Yeah, I'd recommend
0: Yeah, I remember it coming out but I, I I know I've watched it back in the day. Like I I need to rewatch it And a lot then of these.
1: and then at the very end of the movie, this is right when Robin Williams appears like a 70-year-old man. He gives he gives the school uh he's the valedictorian at the high school and he's wearing red shoes, uh red red ruby red slippers. gleaming shoes. This is re- harkening back to the ruby slippers worn by the mother at the very beginning. Um and interestingly, um after what Robin Williams died, um, the memorial issue of Rolling Stone magazine is September 11th, 2014 of all dates. Um, so, you know, you, you get, you get overlap with this thing. Um, you know, you'll, you'll find, you'll find a reference to one thing and, and, and something referencing something else. So, um, you know, there's, there's the, uh, you know, in some, there's the wizard of Oz, uh, death hex. And again, this is going to be a big portion of, uh, of my next book. And, um, Like you know, to be honest with you, I'm I'm just I'm just scratching the surface with some of these examples. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I get I I get I get much more in detail into it in in the movie. Excuse me, in the book. Um, but but you know that that
0: that's that's it in a nutshell. How about Vanilla Sky and the 9/11 connections there?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's one thing that's really interesting that, that I, I, like talking about is how movies can be prophetic, um, and seemingly predict the future. And Vanilla Sky is a great example of this. Um, this is a movie that came out. It, this is part of this Gnostic slate, um, that, that, um, hit, hit theaters, um, in the uh, turn of the millennium. And, um, the, the, movie was filmed before 9-11, um, and the very end of it is um, a very poignant scene where Tom Cruise's character named David Ames ascends this massive skyscraper overlooking New York City. Um, it's in New York City, and it dwarfs the Twin Towers. Yeah. And to make a long story short, in order to wake up from this dream reality that he's trapped in, he has to leap off the building, and he does. Um, and he jumps off the building and, and, you know, he kind of does this in front of the World Trade Center. And I mean, it immediately draws to mind uh, the people falling off the building on that day. Right. Um, when When this happened, when this came out, the director of the movie was urged to remove this. Uh, from the movie, and he didn't. He he didn't cave in. I'm glad he didn't because it's it's, it's very powerful yeah. scenery. But um, you know that that's one of the, like I said, the movie actually came out after 9/11. It comes out in December of one, But um, yeah. the movie was filmed beforehand, and it's definitely one of these prophetic movies for uh, 9/11. And
0: I think when he's at the top of the tower, he's talking to I think Penelope Cruz's character, whose name's Sophia, which is obviously knowledge. Yeah, that's right. Wisdom.
1: That's right. That's. Right, that's right. That's a that's a that's a gnostic yeah. that's a gnostic reference. Sophia is the divine goddess of wisdom, and uh, she, she kind of helps someone his journey yes. uh, to getting out of this this dream like state that he's in.
0: And uh, she's the one that basically know, says you can jump and get out of the dream, or you can stay in it, or something like that. If I remember correct, correct.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, that's right. a
0: pretty interesting movie. Um,
1: I always liked that one, and uh, you know, I I always thought that was a good film, but you know you know again very very poignant at the end kind of sad kind of depressing
0: it, it's really interesting because at the beginning of the movie it opens up it's like they're flying really low in New York City almost like they're going to crash into a building um and then like the camera kind of switches scene the camera zooms down toward the Dakota building which obviously is famous in Rosemary's babies sure. where John Lennon was murdered yeah so that little those little connections are always interesting to
1: yeah me. absolutely um you know it's 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 um you know, uh, there, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot going on with the Beatles and and you know and Charles Manson and John Lennon and again this this Crowley number thing turns up big time with that stuff as well. Um, but you know we'll save that for another show for
0: sure. And we are running out of time here, so I think let's. Let's wrap it up with um, – I wanted to ask you about how directors – I guess occult casting. So how directors will use certain characters in their movies based off characters they played in other movies to kind of subconsciously convey messages in their own movies. Right, right. Absolutely.
1: This is something – it's more – I call. I started out calling occult casting. It's a term that I don't mind using. It's more of an art of memory trick is the better term for it. Um, what, what filmmakers will do is they will bring an actor in. Um, who played a part that somewhat relates to the new movie they're going to be in, and the whole idea behind it is to transfer the, what I can best describe as the cinematic baggage from that movie and invest it in the new movie. It creates sort of this pop pop culture valence. Um, it's the best way I can describe it. Um, when I first started stumbling upon this, I thought it was somewhat rare. It is not. It's much more. It's much more. Um, Pervasive than I originally thought Um, examples include Max von Cito appearing in the very, in the, in the Star Wars movie, uh, the force awakens Um, his, his appearance. in that is clearly conjure is clearly designed uh, to conjure the movie Dune and the exorcist Um, the character that Anthony Zerbe plays in the matrix reloaded, or it's the second one. I think it's the reloaded um, that's designed to invoke. Um, evoke his character from uh, Matthias from the Omega man. Um, there are other examples that are escaping me right now, but you, you will, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the idea that by using a certain actor or even actress, you're 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 subconsciously bringing into the the vibe or the vibration that they generated from an earlier movie and transplanting it into the new the new work of art it works quite effectively um for sure it's 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 very powerful and and when you pick up on it um it's it's a very effective uh, device at these uh, filmmakers disposal
0: what about david lynch how about david lynch yeah. I know you've been doing a lot of study into him
1: right well we'll just wrap up on this um, I mean he he is heavy heavy lifting've um, I've analyzed a lot of his uh, works I, I mean you you can't you can't do Lynch in one you have to break him up I mean you could just do a whole book on Lynch by himself um, I did a lot of Lynch and cinema symbolism too and I did a lot in three also um, the one thing that's unique about Lynch is um, is in his movies in his work, uh, there is always a wizard of Oz citation in there somewhere. I mean, he is another one of these guys who's kind of obsessed with that movie. And, um, some of them, some of his references are very, very overt. Um, some of them are very, very covert. Um, we get into a caught casting, what you were just asking me, we can turn to Lynch, um, for an example of this, um, so like, for example, you know, and an, an, an overt example is an obvious example is like, if you watch um, the movie, what's the one, um, what's the one with um, Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern? I, it's escaping me. I always forget the name of that one. Um, uh, leaving Las Vegas? No, no, no. It's uh, Wild at Heart. That um, In Wild at Heart, the mother, um, the Laura Dern's mother, um... Turns up as the wicked, wit- wicked Witch of the West at one point, so that's kind of obvious. In in in, in Mulholland, Mulholland Drive, the fast food joint at the beginning is Winkies. Um, that's the name of the guards that guard the Wicked Witch or the Winkies. Oh. Um, and and in what? And one of the very one of the very subtle ones that's hard to find, and this ties into casting, is um, in Lost Highway, um, you'll have a, a cameo appearance by Richard Pryor. Um, I think it was Richard Pryor's last movie. If you don't know, Richard Pryor actually played the Wizard of Oz in 1978's The Wiz, which was a, a black exploitation remake of The Wizard of Oz. Um, so but by putting Pryor in, that's The Wizard of Oz te- technically in uh, in Lost wow. Highway. So so Lynch Lynch always, you know, not I, I, I just maybe not always, but most of the time you always find some sort of little Wizard of Oz uh, reference in his films as well.
0: In Twin Peaks, too? Yeah,
1: I, I'd, I'd have to go back and look, um, but I'm sure there's something in Twin Peaks. I, I took on Twin Peaks in Cinema Symbolism 3. That's very alchemical. Um, that's very, very Madame Blavatsky based the, Theosophy. You know, Crowley picks up on this as well. The whole thing with the black and white lodges that comes straight out of the world of Madame Blavatsky and, and Theosophy. Um, uh, very, very interesting. Very interesting. That took a while to do. Anytime TV shows are always harder to do um, because you, you have to usually watch all right. the episodes. Luckily for Twin Peaks, there's only like two years plus Fire Walk with me. But, I mean, I couldn't even do The Simpsons. I mean, you can oh, focus God. on a certain episodes of The Simpsons. But, yeah, I mean, I couldn't do 30 whatever it's been years of The yeah. Simpsons. Forget that.
0: It's extremely dynamic, and so it's ever-growing. Plus, yeah. you know uh... – I mean, I – there are some
1: episodes you know especially the one that predicts 9 yeah. 11 that you have to mention but um you know i couldn't i couldn't get into you know 30 years of the simpsons because matt
0: Groening is like deep deep freemason right he's like up there he knows things before things happen it's crazy
1: yeah i don't think he's a freemason though not to my knowledge
0: okay yeah He's he's something. He's
1: in some group. I might he might, be. He might be. I'd, I'd have I'd have to go look. I mean, he might be, but it I mean, I would have to go look, but I'd, I don't Cause I
0: the, don't the amount of 9/11 uh imagery in his, in the episodes way prior to 9/11 happening is insane. Like it's all throughout his episodes.
1: Yeah, well there's the one with the with the book with 9/11 on it. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's the main one that holds
0: up the magazine and 9/11 and yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, this has been very interesting, and, I mean, this stuff is – it goes deep, and it keeps me enthralled. I, I love this stuff. I love it. Well, thank you. Well, and I know the listeners are going to enjoy this.
1: Okay, so it's my pleasure to be here, and when Cinema Symbolism 4 comes out, we'll do it again.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And if you want, um, go ahead and tell the listeners uh, your website and where they can find you and look more, look more up, uh, more into you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All, all the books are out. They're all, all on the major uh, internet, you know – well you know websites uh retailers amazon barnes and noble books a million um you know go to my website it's my name my name is robert w sullivan the fourth my um website is just that robert w sullivan iv.com roman numeral i roman numeral v all lowercase all connected robert w sullivan iv.com uh there are links there to buy the books there um Information about me, information about upcoming shows I'm doing. Um, there will, you know, shows such as this will be posted there in the in, in the blog or in the media and press page. Um, you know, again, information about me, links to buy the books. It's a very easy site to navigate. Um, www. Perfect.
0: Yes, and when uh, book four comes out, we'll definitely have it back on, and we'll just, you know, get an update. Yeah, absolutely, no problem. Love to come back. Well, thank you, Robert. Definitely appreciate it. You have a good day, all right? Yeah, you too now. Thank you.
1: Por